We just had a women's conference, and it was a great one. I, I hope all of the women at CR came, or if you didn't, you can watch it online, I think. But uh, Autumn Losey did a great job. I've been hearing about her ever since how wonderful a job she did this weekend. Thank you, Autumn, for that. But the icing on the cake is when Lydia and Marilyn, they were uh, putting this together. They said, why don't we get Scott to come down and teach on Sunday? And uh, so we emailed him. They shot it right back and said he would love to do that. And I, got, I started getting to know him Friday when he came down. And we're very like-minded. And he's just easy to talk to, easy to get along with, knowledgeable of the word, has a heart for the Lord. And I'm reminded of what one of my fathers in Christ told me when Brian and I went to Colorado and talked to Ed Taylor. And he was giving us some pointers here and there. And he says, Victor, this is what I want you to always understand. He says, always guard your pulpit. He said, just don't let anybody get up and teach because they're representing Jesus Christ. And I have uh, my, the pastors here at Restore. I have no issue. They come up. They teach the word. And I know that's Scott's heart. And so give him a round of applause as he, as he comes up and shares with us this morning. Thank you, Brian. Tell them your church where you come from. Absolutely. <laughs> Sorry, I'm trying to turn on my iPad here. Nothing like technical difficulties. But good morning, Church Calvary Restore. I am so glad and blessed to be here. Um, it has been... Um, it's been a crazy few years for Autumn and I. We left a, our home church in California to plant a church out in the Nashville area. We are in Lebanon, Tennessee, and uh, we decided to plant in the midst of COVID, apparently. We didn't know it was coming. Oh, I guess maybe you guys did know it was coming. I don't know. But, um, you, know, we, uh, you know, the Lord has put one trial after another in, in, our, in our faces, and, um, but it has been exciting. We love to serve the Lord. We love to share God's word, and we're just excited to be here and we got to first meet Calvary Restore uh, two years ago when we were invited out for a conference. And that was the midst of us really solidifying what we were going to plant the church. And we came walking in these doors, and I was probably five feet in. And I told Autumn, said, this just reminds me of home. I could feel the love of this building and the people and the love that you have for one another. So I thank you for that. And it has been a blessing to be back here this weekend and to be in your midst and just to be, I mean, to me, I just feel absolutely refreshed to be here. And I thank you for that. And your, your pastor, uh, Victor and Lydia and the rest of the crew gets unbelievable. And I thank you for your warm welcome and your hospitality to us and the love that you have for one another. It's a blessing to watch and see. And I'm, I look forward to being back here and seeing just how much God grows your church and the impact you're going to have in in this community uh, because of the love that you have for Christ and his people. So uh, with that said, I want to share with you this morning out of Isaiah chapter 6, and if you'll just bow your heads with me in prayer. Father God, we come before you. We are honored to be here, to be hearing from your word and to hear um, what you have for us, Lord. And I pray that we would not be just hearers of your word, but that we would be doers also, that you would literally soften our hearts right now that we would receive from you that we would make, be able to make application in our lives, and that we would be strengthened by you. And so, Lord, speak to us this morning. Lord, as we were just singing, Lord, let our praises be on your lips, Lord. 
Let, let you be on our hearts and let you minister to every aspect of our core. We want to be honoring to you in all things, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, by way of introduction, we'll be in Isaiah chapter 6 if you want to turn there this morning. Um, by way of introduction, though, I want to kind of share with you a story that happened um, several years ago now. And when you're in ministry, you never know when you're going to get that phone call where somebody needs help. And it was a Christmas Eve, and I got a phone call from one of our associate pastors and said, I need help. Um, I'm, at this, I'm going out to this apartment complex. There's uh, One of our deacons had called us and said, hey, you know, they need help, and there's um, some kind of demonic activity going on in this apartment, and I just need backup. I need someone else there with me, and apologize, I'm fighting allergies, so my mouth gets a little drier than normal. Um, but anyway, um, so I show up there, and we go in, and um, not to get too off track, but, you know, there was a lot going on, and we wind up praying with the family, and... Um, it was just a, one of those crazy scenarios that you really can't describe. And, and um, in all my years of being a pastor in ministry, I've probably only seen physically things like this probably, you know, maybe three times. And um, so we, uh, we got to praying with the couple, and it became apparent that the wife was, um, she was a believer that had just not been walking with the Lord, and really because her husband was not a believer and as we began to minister to them, the night was ticking away. It's Christmas Eve, and now it's midnight. Then it's 1 a.m., and we're kind of counseling them and trying to help them. And um, me and the other pastor, Pastor Darius, we were, I think, just really led to really just want to try and lead this guy to the Lord and just sharing with him. And I'm sharing with him. I'm taking him down Romans Road and just, you know, just trying to pour into his life and thinking that this is the perfect opportunity. He just seemed so ready. But it became apparent that he was far from ready at that moment, um, or at least he was giving off signs that he was, and he began to pound his fist into his hand, hit the coffee table. He was getting angry. The more I would share scripture with him, the angrier he got. And um, I literally thought at one point, well, he might swing or something. And um, so I looked over at Pastor Darius. I know he was looking for feedback from me, like, do we stick this out? Do we leave? And I'm, I said, I pulled him aside, and I, was, I said, this one's DOA on arrival. You know, it's I said, you know, we got family, we got kids at home, it's Christmas Eve, let's, we did what we could, and we prayed, and, you know, we helped calm the situation down, but let's go, but right then the Lord spoke to me and just convicted me and and said, you know, because the the guy's big argument was, I've never seen God, I've never seen the Lord, I've never seen God work in my life, I've, I've looked, I can't see him actively in our lives, and, um, and so, Right then, the Lord just gave me a question to ask him, and he said, and I asked him, I said, why are you here? Why are you here? And um, he couldn't answer. He wasn't sure. And then he said, well, because this couple, this deacon from our church, a godly man, had just poured into their lives, helped them whenever they needed help. And I said, I said, there's 100-plus apartments here, and when chaos hits, you run to this apartment. I'm asking you why. And then he began to realize that the love of Christ, he had seen God. He had seen God lived out in these people's lives. And we, uh, because of that, he, finally the dots kind of connected for him. And he, he realized, and I, and I just looked at him, I said, are you ready to stop fighting and to surrender your life to the Lord? And he said, yes. And we began praying for him and leading him in prayer. And uh, it was an amazing night. All that to say, amazing night. But he needed help to see that God resonates 
through his people, that we are to be image bearers. And it wasn't anything I really I ever said. It was that he, had to, he needed someone to just point him to realize that this brother, our deacon Lee, had been sharing with him, had really just lived out life with him, side by side, and that is what drew him to the Lord. And so when everything went crazy, that was the apartment that only had peace. And that's where he ran with his family. And so I share that with you because the world will always offer us an alternative. We live in a world that is full of chaos and chaotic and um, a lot of uncertainty for many of us. We go through different seasons. For Autumn and I, we are in a season of uncertainty as we plant a church. What is it going to look like? Where, where, where does our source of income come from? Where, how do we get by day to day? And um, it changes for us. We've had seasons where, for medical reasons, our world was upside down. We're in a difficult season right now where one of our children is a prodigal child has walked away from the Lord. And it's difficult. And I won't get, I'll try not to get choked up, but that's probably one of the most difficult things I'm currently going through. I never thought I would have to deal with that with one of my children. My daughter was a kid that would get in trouble for witnessing in school and for sharing the Lord in school. And yet now she's going her own way, or thinks she is. And so these are the kinds of things that maybe you find yourself this morning in the same kind of vote, where you just don't know, you know, there's a certain amount of uncertainty for you. Life comes in different seasons, ups and downs all the time. But we get through it by looking at God's glory, looking, looking to him, the author and finisher of our faith, and focusing on him and letting him strengthen us. And so this morning, if you'll turn to Isaiah chapter 6, and I'll give you some context. Um, really what strengthens us is what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. That's what A.W. Tozer said. And in context, um, the, uh, the prophet Isaiah um, was, has been speaking to the Jews in Judah over these first five chapters in, in Isaiah. We're going to pick up in chapter 6. But he's been chastising them, basically going after them for the, maintaining the appearance of worship, but not actually following God and being honoring to him. And God had warned them through Isaiah that if they don't repent, that he's going to take the land from them. And so let's pick up in chapter 6 here. Verse 1, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple, and above it stood a seraphim. Each one had six wings, with two he covered his face, and two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, woe is me. For I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs and the altar, and he touched my mouth, and it said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin purged. And also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And then I said, here I am, send me. And he said, go and tell this people. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and be healed. So 
For many of us, we need that. We need that intimate touch. We need that reminder to focus on God. We, I don't know if you're like me, but so many times I've read this passage and I tend to focus on the one verse, here I am, send me. You know, that's my heart, to want to be used by the Lord, to have him strengthen me. And um, you don't get there sometimes until God has you undone, until he has you ruined, until he has to reconcile yourself to him and draw you back to him. And um, that's what I want to talk to you this morning about. And we have to look, and if we're going to study Isaiah, we have to kind of see things through his eyes and understand where he was coming from. And let's look at verse 1 together. It says, In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. So for, for the prophet Isaiah, it brought a time of uncertainty. King Uzziah had passed away, and um, prior to that, he was a great ruler. He was a godly man. He, had a, he reigned for 52 years. He was the 10th king of Judah. He, he was probably one of the only kings that didn't fully depart from God and his righteousness. And um, while he struggled, um, he, was, uh, he provided well for his people and led them through a time of prosperity and times of good, just a lot of fruit and honoring things. And um, it says this in Second Chronicles, gives a good outline of who he was. In 26, verse 5, it says, As long as he sought the Lord, God prospered him. And so during that time, they had um, expanded their armies, defeated their enemies, they dug wells, they built towers, um, they developed weapons, um, they fortified the cities, they built walls. Some of you heard built walls and thought I was going political on you. I'm not. <laughs> but it was a time that was great. It was a time that many of us, we have those seasons where we're, everything just seems to be going smooth, right? And we can't imagine it going any other way. And when it does, it throws us for a loop. And um, Second Chronicles uh, 2616 says, but when he became strong, his heart was so proud that he acted corruptly and he was unfaithful to the Lord his God, for he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. And, the, and what happened was the priests were upset by this. This was, this was their job. This was what they were called to by the Lord to, to do. And he overstepped his position and his authority. And he, he, he stepped on people's toes Maybe, maybe today you know what that's like. Maybe you've done that or been, had someone step on your toes. Maybe somebody wants your position. Maybe somebody uh, a little jealous, a little zealous in their, in their heart. Maybe even good for good things, even to serve the Lord. And um, so, you know, disobedience is a serious thing. And um, it's recorded that Uzziah, because of his actions, um, really had... Um, really suffered the consequences. He basically had been struck down with leprosy until the time of his death. And so this, his whole reign of 52 years in prosperity had come to an end. And for the prophet Isaiah, this was difficult for him. He, his, eye, his eyes, all his focus had been on King Uzziah, and now this was taken away from him. And for some of us, maybe we can relate, even politically. We're about to go into a political, you know, we've got people already talking about who's going to run for president in our country, Fights are already starting to happen. Fundraising is going on. We're seeing, you know, changes, and um, some of us aren't happy. Maybe the way the country is going now, and you know, the economy seems to be taking 
taking a turn right now. Interest rates are up, inflation is up, gas prices are up. Everything's up, isn't it? Um, maybe the only thing not up sometimes right now is just our hands to praise the Lord because we, f- we forget of all of our goodness that we have. And, um, and that's what I want to encourage you this morning is that even through the most difficult times, we can praise and honor and worship our Lord. And there's th- three things I think we can take away as we look at the prophet Isaiah and what he saw. And I'll put them on the screen for you. Um, we, he saw God's position of authority in verse 1. He saw God's character in verses 2 and 3. And he saw God's presence in verse 4. I want to ask you today, what has got your focus today? What are you focused on? Are you focused on God's glory in your life? Are you distracted by everything the world is throwing at you? Let's look at verse 1 together as he, he saw God's position of authority. See, Isaiah saw God in his sovereignty. He was, his earthly king may have died, but at this point he now realizes the Lord still reigns. He's still on his throne. I love that about that verse. God has not moved. He has not given up his position. He has not given up his authority. He is still the, the living, loving God that we all know. And I think sometimes, no matter what circumstances we go through, we need that reminder. We need those people around us that are going to point us back to that. And 2 Corinthians 4, verses 17 through 18, it says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things that which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. See, we've got to keep an eternal perspective, have a kingdom mindset. We, we so often are worried about how we're going to save the things around us in this world that are just here for, they're like, a, as James says, it's but a vapor. They're going to come and go like, like it's nothing. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. See, the train of his robe that he references there uh, that filled the temple was symbolic, and it, um, you know, it shows his full authority and rank and position. Many of us were familiar with maybe military, and we, you know, we might look at, you know, a person's badges. We might look at, you know, the awards and things that they won as they're pinned on their shoulders, and and look look at their uniform and know. And it's easy to look at a man that's been through war and been in the military for any length of time and know that they are seasoned and to look at their uniform and know what authority and rank they have. And so looking at a man's robe in the day would have also expressed that, the length of it and how it fully encompassed. And this understanding leads to an interesting study in the scriptures. Um, The high priest would have a blue robe and would also have it, it would be lined basically with pomegranates or uh, bells at the bottom. And when they would enter into the temple or into the holy place, the bells would signify that they were allowed to be there and then in a rightful place. Exodus 28.35 says this, though. It says, It shall be on Aaron when he ministers, and its sound shall be heard. And when he enters and leaves the holy place before the Lord, so that he will not die. And so it was the sound of these that would signify the right to be in the temple and in the holy place, proving that they had the right authority and rank. And... Um, it's, a, it's interesting because, you know, First Samuel fifteen twenty eight says this. Samuel said this. He said, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from your body. That's what he said when he, Saul had accidentally torn the robe off of Samuel. Luke eight forty four 
it says, it came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak and immediately her hemorrhaging stopped. So this woman had suffered for many, for a great length of time, gone for help, but it was the minute that she touched the cloak of Jesus, to touch his robe, to be in his presence, that she was healed. In doing this, she was submitting herself to the authority of Christ, and she was instantly made well. Um, A simple act that many others have followed, right? Just to be near the Lord was enough to be saved at times, and to just touch him, and to, to be close to him. He is second to none. So as this robe filled up the temple, there was no room for anything else in our lives. And I think that's a takeaway for you and I. What are we focusing on as Christians? What, are we, what, what do we have? Do we, do we have enough Christ in our lives while we study his word, while we get together in fellowship, that it's, it fills our life, that we, we hear more from Christ than we do from this world? I don't know about you, but it's a struggle to watch the news. It's a struggle not to read too much because it can wear you down. It can beat you down. It can, it can fill you with negative thoughts. It can take away any optimism you have and hope in Christ sometimes if you're not careful. And that's why we need to spend as much time as we can in fellowship with one another and in his word. As we continue on looking at verses 2 and 3, Let me read those again for you. Above it stood a seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, and two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. See, they for the first time there, Isaiah is reminded as he looks at this vision, and he's, he's seeing this vision, he's reminded of the holiness of God. The seraphim, they called out to one another saying, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The holiness of um, the Lord is the only instance in the Old Testament where he uses a superlative and he uses it three times like that. And it's a great representation of what for us? The Trinity, right? It's holy, holy, holy. And the Hebrew word means kadosh, means set apart, different, distinct. He is holy, set apart for us. And we are to be set apart for him. He has designed us to be unique. And you ladies at the women's conference, you studied this, right? 139, Psalm 139. You were made, wonderfully made, right? To be set apart for his service, for his glory, for his honor. Revelation 4.8 says this. It says, and for the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. And day and night, they do not cease to say, holy, holy is the Lord God the Almighty who, has, who was and who is and who is to come. So when it comes down to God's holiness, it's all-encompassing, filling the temple, leaving no room for anything else. We can think of God as being a manifestation of love, his mercy, his grace for us, his justice, his power. But at the end of the day, it's all filled and encompassed in one thing. It's his love, his holiness for us, his righteousness for us. But most of all, he's holy, it says. The attribute of God that most stood out to Isaiah was that he was holy. He was, he was everything. Nothing could fill that void except his holiness of God. These angelic seraphims in the temple three times proclaimed it. The Lord said to Moses, he says, You cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. But even the seraphim could not look at God's holiness and his glory. It was hard for them to look at him. 
The seraphim used um, four of their wings to express their humility. They used two of their wings to express their willingness and ability to serve God and believed this is the proper ratio. Worship should be marked in humility before ever in physical service. We are a people in our churches these days that we need more humility. We need it from the pulpits. We need it as we encourage people to serve. Too much pride gets in the way. We think highly of ourselves. We begin to believe our own press clippings. And it's, a, it's an honor when I get to visit a church when I walk in and I meet humble people. And it's a pleasure to be in your midst. And I thank you. I thank you for Pastor Victor. He's one of these guys that just a humble man that serves the Lord. And I love to be around and surround myself by humility. And I think that's the desire we need to have with one another, encourage one another in these things. Spurgeon said it this way. He says, and I'll put it on the screen for you. He says, thus they have four wings for adoration and two for active energy, four to conceal themselves and two with which to occupy themselves in service. And we, may we learn from them that we shall serve God best when we are most deeply reverent and humbled in his presence. Veneration must be in a larger proportion than vigor. Adoration must exceed activity. As Mary at Jesus' feet was preferred to Martha and her much serving, so must sacred reverence take the first place and energetic service follow in due course. Many of us are eager to serve the Lord, but we don't want to sit at his feet. We don't want to hear from him. We don't want to, in humility, believe that you know, we can lift up the people around us, that they are just as worthy to serve alongside of us. And we've got to make room for people. We've got to allow and encourage people to live out their gifts and to be filled by the Holy Spirit and to honor him in their service. We're to recognize his right to glory by giving him all the glory for everything in our lives. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And James 1.17 says, Every good and gift and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Let's look at verse 4 together. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. See, he saw God's presence. Again, the smoke filling the entire temple, filling this holy place. Um, it was a symbol of the presence of God. And it's interesting that, you know, he, he, he stood at the outside, Isaiah, it sounds like, in this vision, He's at the post, and he can hear them rumble even. He can hear the strength in in their cries as they worshiped the Lord, as it vibrated through the post. But he was in his rightful place, just to watch in admiration from a distance, not entering in, but just seeing the work in the presence of God. So we're told that the house was filled with smoke, fully his presence. You'll notice that the trains also filled the whole temple. See, when we're saved, we're never alone. But even during our trials in life, we still have the presence of the Lord with us. And God should occupy every part of our worship, every one of our thoughts. And uh, it's, it's a difficult thing sometimes. We need those reminders. And that's why we need one another. Matthew twenty-eight twenty says, Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. And Hebrews 13.5 says, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. 
I think what happens is a lot of times when we hit these trials in our life and these roadblocks and things that just don't seem to be going our way and we look at, you know, for many of us, maybe we could agree that we are in a crazy time, right? We are in absolutely a weirdest season of what people will allow and, and believe. We, did you ever think we would be in a spot where we will argue about what someone's pronouns are? I mean, it's mind-boggling. I just watched a documentary um, uh, by Matt Walsh, um, What is a Woman? Um, if you want to have yourself be shocked into, and traumatized in what the world believes, um, I would challenge you to watch it. Uh, it's, it's, it'll really get you thinking about what, the influence that the world has on people and how we need to, there are a lot of people like John that I mentioned in the beginning that need to hear from you and I. They need to see life lived out through Christians that we would be true image bearers and they would see a difference and they would not see that we're arguing about pronouns, but we're living out our faith in such a way that they look at our lives and they say, I want what you have. I want that peace that you have. I want to know, I want to know where you hang out and what you do. That they're so curious about who we are for the love that we carry and bear that they follow you to church. Not because you invited them, not because you pressured them, and, but because they, they have fallen in love with you whether they realize it or not. And by falling in love with you, they've fallen in love with the risen king. And that, I believe, is what's missing in the churches today because we spend more time fighting and bickering over things that are just are not relevant. And they do, no, they do no glory. They bring no glory to the king. And we have to remember that the king is still sitting on his throne. He's high and lifted up. So there's two important things that Isaiah recognized. He recognized his personal condition in verse 5, and he recognized God's healing touches in verses 6 and 7. And first he recognized his own condition. Let's look at that together. So he said, woe is me, for I am undone. Woe is me. See, in seeing God's holiness, Isaiah's reaction was to realize his own unholiness. See, there's a simple truth for us as believers. If you're a believer in this room today, maybe you've already realized this. But the closer we get to God, the more we realize our own fallacies, don't we? We we realize our shortcomings. And it's actually a good place to be. It's why we call our church Reliance. You know, it's a good place to be fully reliant on Christ. And we have found that that's the best place to be, that we don't just need Christ, we are in desperate need of him. And after five long chapters of him, basically, and in chapter five, he calls out woe to all the people, the Jewish people in Judah. And he calls calling them out on their sins, and he does it repeatedly. He gets to chapter six here, and he's reflecting on his own life and seeing this vision, and it's because he saw the goodness of God that he realizes, he says, woe is me. He's more like those other people than he would care to admit prior. He didn't cry out, woe is my neighbor, but woe is me. See, he had called them out on all kinds of things, drunkenness, greediness, vanity, wise in their own eyes, calling evil good. Any of this sound familiar to the days we live in now? Not a whole lot has changed, has it, in some ways. See, we live in a time now where no matter how prosperous our nation is on many levels, we are a society that is, we're morally pigs. We have, we have just reverted back to some horrific things. 
And although Isaiah was probably the most righteous guy in Judah at the time, when he caught a glimpse of God's holiness, he knew that he was sinful sludge. See, many had similar reactions in the scriptures. It's recorded, Simon Peter fell down at Jesus' feet saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. In Job, it's recorded, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes sees you. Therefore, I retract and repent in dust and ashes. And how about John in Revelation 117? says, when I saw him, I fell at the feet like a dead man. See, when you're truly confronted with God's holiness, there's no possibility for pride. If you and I were to operate truly out of a love for Christ, we would not let pride build up in us. We would be encouraging others to link arms and to serve him and to lift up holy hands together. Matthew 5, 3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That is exactly the place that God would want you and I to be poor in spirit, to come to him humbly. When Isaiah saw the Lord, he instantly realized problems within his own heart. See, until we see God and are confronted with our own condition before him, we're going to have a hard time serving him rightly. We're going to be haughty. We're going to be proud. Um, but we need, to, we need to have this humility and confession in our lives. A.W. Tozer said it may be best. He said this. He said, the stiff and wooden quality about our religious lives is a, a result of our lack of holy desire. Complacency is a deadly foe of all spiritual growth. Acute desire must be present or there will be no manifestation of Christ." To his people. See, it's then when John saw our deacon Lee living out his life that he began to realize that that is, that is God. God had provided these people in his apartment complex, and basically they were offering him salvation, not because they were throwing it down his throat, but because they were there for him every time in need, sacrificially giving their reasonable service. God's holiness is terrifying because it reveals our strengths to be weaknesses. There's a certain element of pride that the prophet Isaiah had brought into this. He had gone into the temple and took the job of 80 priests, but that wasn't his place. Maybe you've experienced that. I know there's certainly a great many men that have tried to get into pulpits around our country that don't have any place or business to be in them. There are people in local churches all day long that would rather oust the pastor so they could be in the pulpit. Maybe you're a ministry leader here today in this room and you're struggling with sharing the stage or sharing the limelight is the way you perceive it. And we can't be about that. We need to humbly serve the Lord. We need to make room for people and the right kind of people, those that will humbly go before the Lord. For Isaiah, his lips would have represented his greatest strength but God reveals even that to be worthless. That's why he feels undone. Even his best is insufficient. Keller says this. He says, the holiness of God doesn't make Isaiah ashamed of his weakness. It makes him look at his strength and realize that they aren't strengths at all. Let me ask you today, what is it for you? What strengths are you relying on instead of relying on Christ? Have you lost sight of who God is in your life? That he has offered you everything. And as a believer... You know what he did for you. And are you operating in that grace truly to serve? You know, what, is it your athletic ability? Is it your business savvy, your mind that he's given you, um, your family, your friends? What is that strength? Sometimes it's the good things that hold us back. 
Is it your good looks like me? I mean, <laughs> is, is that what holds you back, Pastor Victor? I mean, it's my brother from another mother. I mean, we got it going on, you know? <laughs> but it's, it's often our strengths that hold us back and hinder us more than anything because we get in our, we're our worst enemy. We get in our own way. George Whitfield, who was the preaching spawned the Great Awakening, he had basically two major points in the sermon. The first is obvious, repent of your sins, right? Makes sense. The second, though, was repent of your strengths. Those are the two points that he always drove home. What do you think will justify you before God? What do you think holds your life together? That most likely is your greatest source of sin in your life right now that's holding you back. The Apostle Paul says, whatever is not of faith is sin. And it's generally our strengths that really hurt us the most and usually where that happens. Wherever you're weak, you will naturally rely on God and is where you are strong that you will forget him. And second, he recognized God's healing touch. Isaiah knew that he was reconciled to Christ. He knew that God would forgive him. He knew he still had a purpose and a plan in his life to operate and to, and to fulfill. Thank God doesn't leave us where we are. When we go through these difficult times, we go through these difficult seasons, and there's a whole lot of uncertainty for many of us. And I believe as a country, we're probably going into a season of that. But we're going through it clearly as a church. And I speak of the church as a whole. People are putting their hopes into wrong things. I won't knock anyone that wants to have an influence in politics, but for most pastors, most preachers, we get an hour and a half with you on Sunday. If I'm going to share anything with you, it's the love of Christ. You change people's hearts and you'll change their political views. You'll change the world. You'll change the people around you. Your sin is forgiven. It takes confession. He understood this, Isaiah. 1 John 1, 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we ever see God as he is and we see ourselves as we are, then we'll come before him in humility and confess our sins. And that's the question for you and I this morning and for believers. Do we recognize that God has saved us, that he's already forgiven us and done a work for us? Next, the next step for Isaiah was he committed he took all that he realized and, and seeing lived out in this vision, and he said, here I am, send me. Use me. It was, it, that was the act of humility ultimately for him, to say, I'm available. I'm with you. I see you. My shame, my guilt, my separation from you, it's over. I'm ready for service. And I would implore you, if you're not serving in the church, you're not serving in your community, you're not reaching out to your loved ones, you're not truly loving your neighbor as we're called, then do it. Step out. It's your reasonable service. Romans 12, 1, 2 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And Isaiah got that because he saw the holiness of God. Are you someone today that realizes and remembers God's grace on your life, his holiness, and seeing it lived out? Jesus told his disciples in Luke 10, 
Verses two and three says, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. See, many of us, we do feel like we're out amongst wolves and we give up easily. But you be empowered by the Lord to remember him. Matthew 13, verses 13 and 14 says, I speak to them in parables because while seeing they do not see, and while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand in their, in their case the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, you will keep on hearing but will not understand. You will keep on seeing but will not perceive. See, God knew this is what the Jews were going to find themselves into a spot, and they'd wind up leading themselves into 70 years of Babylonian captivity because they could not hear. Too much of the world had influenced them, and um, we're not much different, are we? we? We're so distracted these days by, I mean, we got devices, our cell phones on us. I mean, within seconds, we have access to anything. Our kids are pulled away. I mean, my even I'm 46, and I feel like back in... I, I know I'm getting old when I start saying back in my day, but we had to search out some of our sin. Our kids have it literally in their pockets and access to it. And, you know, we shouldn't just pick on the kids because we're just as guilty. And, we, you know, we need to lead by example. But it's fascinating um, that our, when it talks about your ears becoming dull. Uh, we, did a, we had a staff meeting at our church back in California once in our multimedia department started playing audio sounds and the average ear will hear up to 20,000 hertz and anywhere from 13,000 to 20,000 and as the thing is is your ears are influenced and changed over the course of time as you listen to loud music you know maybe you're rough on your ears you the world has beat up your body so to speak um, you don't hear as well as you get older and it was amazing so we would start playing the different tones on the laptop and some of us maybe we'll admit that we didn't get up to the 20,000 hertz. All the young whippersnappers in the multimedia and worship team, they could hear all the way up there. And, you know, us older people were saying, turn it up. Well, it wasn't a loudness issue. It was our ears just can't hear that pitch, that can't hear that tone. And this is what the world does to us. It dulls us down to where we cannot hear. We miss, we miss the sight and the sounds of God in our lives. And so we wind up like this guy, John, seeing Christ lived out right in front of us, and we miss it. And we need each other to lift each other up and remind us, stay focused. Look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. I leave my church all the time, and I tell them, and they probably get sick of me saying it, but if you're not growing, you're dying. Complacency will kill us in the church. And we've got to be studying together. We've got to be in his word. We need to be just encouraging each other. And some of us are living out a time of uncertainty. And for Isaiah, it took this vision to basically traumatize him and to wake him up. And, you know, maybe that's what God's doing right now and whatever you're going through. I don't know the difficult time you might be going through or what you're about to go through. But it's a time to reset and to refocus. And are we going to focus on God? In closing, that's where I want to encourage you. Before God sends a man or a woman, he must intimately touch them. And I'm going to invite the worship team back up here as I kind of exhort you a little bit here at the end. But I want to tell you about a time when Isaiah 6 really spoke to me. 
I read it for the very first time. Um, not for the very first time, but it, it hit me in such a way. Typically, I've read this chapter, like I said, most of us, we focus on maybe the verse of here I am, send me. But I was, uh, we went through a season, Autumn and I, where about five years ago, where we came home from vacation one night and Autumn got violently sick, started having seizures. And she has, um, I don't know if she shared with you at the women's conference, um, but she has a you know, brain injury um, as a result of it and long-term side effects. You'd never know it the way she serves the Lord and the way she teaches. She ministers in pain. But she continues to continues, and she's, she's in many ways one of my spiritual hero, heroes of the faith. But all that to say that one night we left the hospital, in and out of hospitals multiple times, um, having seizures. They didn't know what was going on. Um, at one point in the hospital, she had a heart attack. There was a they brought in the crash cart, uh, multiple doctors t- trying to revive her. And um, I thought I was watching my wife die. And um, a doctor from UCSD was there, came in and told me, whatever you do, get her out of this hospital. She's going to die here. you got to get her to a better hospital. So all that to say, my life verses are Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he shall guide and direct your paths and the lord brought me back right back to my the root of what led me to the lord those verses that night and i i didn't know what else to do as i watched my wife we had got been sent home by the hospital and we were laying in bed i watched my wife having a seizure in bed again nothing i could do the doctors didn't know what to do they were going to send us back to specialists again and they were at a loss they didn't know what was causing it. They just knew that she couldn't continue doing these. And I started just crying out to the Lord. And I found myself in that very spot saying, I'm undone. And I grabbed my Bible and I began to read this passage. And then God reminded me of all the goodness and all of his glory and how he's always protected my family. And through the course of my faith as a believer, he's countlessly told me and given me times that I must walk away from things, whether it's a good job, a good paying job, whether, you know, it's certain people in our lives. But he always been faithful and provided for us and taken care of us. And I looked over at my wife and I began to pray. But I called out to God. And I said, I'm a man undone. And one of the most humbling things is to later get the medical records and look through them and see reports from doctors where husband is hostile, is what it said in the notes. I like to think that they don't know what hostile is. I was raised by Italians in New York. And, um, but needless to say, um, and I could justify it. We can justify ourselves in our actions to take care of what we think we need to do. But God reminded me that day that I had to trust him. I had to lean on him. I couldn't do it in my own understanding. And that was a difficult spot to be, again, where you want to you care for your wife, but you don't have the answers. The doctors don't have the answers. But prayer, I got to see God's glory lived out. For once, I've spent many years serving other people, doing all kinds of stuff. But when I saw people feeding my kids, taking care of my kids because we couldn't, serving us for once and having it reversed around on us, it was hard to receive. But I got to see and receive God's glory lived out through his people. And I want to encourage you, Calvary Restore, you are going to be an amazing church as you continue to live out who you are in Christ and be strengthened by him. And you love the people that come in, you encounter, 
and I, I can't wait to come back here and see this church overflowing into the parking lot. You are an amazing group, and may God bless you.